so you know this is our last installment in the book of acts for this year and we're going to pick it up again next year sometime so it's like a season two will happen next year sometime hopefully not too late in the year otherwise you forget what happened in season one that's what we're going to do we're going to do an advent series um starting next week um yeah if you on a phone head to acts chapter 15 verse uh, 36 if you knew uh, we've been in a series of the book of acts for 15 chapters and we will like i said carry on with it next year so if you're visiting us or you knew you're just kind of diving in on something here but um each week hopefully makes sense on its own so you're welcome just to dive along uh, dive in with us before we read this passage i just want to um suppose position where this fits in in the broader picture we're spending a bit more time on a few verses today because it's an important um kind of topic that pops up in the book of acts um sometimes christians uh, don't get along um it's just it's just a thing uh, uh, you know and sometimes it's big things and sometimes it's small things um yeah. if you're sitting here this morning you're probably not catholic probably not um, and the reason you're not Catholic is because of a guy called Martin Luther and his friends who kind of kept the wheels rolling on the Protestant Reformation. Uh, there was a day we, we kind of celebrated about a month ago where he goes and nails his 95 theses to a, a door and kickstarts a, a basically a real fight with the Catholic Church. And we don't have time to do a whole church history lesson, but it's a really big deal. If that didn't happen, you'd probably all be Catholic. Um, and I'm not here to talk about the differences between Catholics and Protestants this morning, uh, but I, I would, my assessment is that that was a good thing that happened. The Protestant Reformation is a good thing, uh, but that was a massive fight, argument, battle in church history. Uh, sometimes it's good when Christians disagree. It needs to happen. It does. Sometimes it has to happen. Other times it doesn't need to happen. Sometimes it's big things, sometimes it's small things. I was talking with him, as I was preparing this, I was remembering a chat I had with a pastor friend of mine, you know, sometimes we swap war stories with each other, and he was telling me about a family who had left his church, um, and he was, he was so bleak about this family having left. Um, I mean, you kind of bleak when most people leave a church, sometimes you're happy to see them go. On, on, the, on the odd occasion, uh, we've never had that, but... Uh, sometimes it's okay when they go sometimes that they leave over such stupid things it's just like that's that's hard to see that happen uh, and this family had left because the church had decided uh, to do a really big uh, christmas eve service so they were gonna do and they really threw money at it they had a proper kind of thing going on on christmas eve and they weren't going to meet on christmas day so they were just going like, to give all the serving teams a break on Christmas Day, be with your families, just chill. But on Christmas Eve, they were going big, invite your mates, whatever else. And the pastor got an email saying, I'm, we're leaving because you guys don't want to celebrate Jesus' birthday. And they left the church over that. Yeah, I know. Right? Some of you are thinking, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd send you an email like that. Hopefully you wouldn't. That's a small thing in my mind. I mean... That wasn't, the 25th of December is not Jesus' birthday anyway. Sorry to spoil the party for you. Like, if you didn't know that already, he was probably born in September. So anyway, the guy's wrong. 
and you don't leave the church over not having a Christmas Day service. It's ridiculous. So sometimes Christians fight over big things. Sometimes they fight over small things. Today we find in the book of Acts two Christian leaders having an argument and it doesn't go well. All right, so let's dive into it, pray, and then dig around and see what we can possibly learn and what God is wanting to say to us as a church from something that actually looks like a bit of a mess here. Acts 15 from verse 36 through to 41. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John, who was also called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on uh, with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark with them and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed after having after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. And he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Father, we we know that all of your word is given um, to us for our help and for instruction and to build us up and to uh, reveal things to us, reveal things about your nature and your character and to reveal things about what we are like as humans and you teach us and you reveal and you speak through your word and so we ask again this morning and that through the ministry and the person and the power of the holy spirit amongst us this morning you would reveal you would speak you would teach and that as a church together this morning we would hear your voice amongst us that Um, You would do the work that you have prepared in advance to do in our hearts. You know the condition of our souls this morning. And you know what we need to hear from you through your word. And so we ask that you would give to us the grace of receptive hearts and open ears that can hear. And yeah, just an expectancy that the living God would speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So there you have it. We read it. There's this match. Luke calls it, Luke, the author of Acts, calls it a sharp disagreement. What, what causes the disagreement? Uh, and I'll fill in some of the blanks for you if you haven't been part of every week of Acts. Um, the, what's happening here is in between the first missionary journey uh, that Paul and Barnabas went on and Paul's second one, because obviously they don't go on the one together, and they'd gone and visited a whole bunch of um, places, towns, preached the gospel. Many people became believers they established churches all over the place. And then Paul, uh, I think wisely, says, hey, let's go back and revisit everywhere where we've been and follow up with them and strengthen them, which I just want to park somewhere quickly over here. It's not what we're going to talk about a lot this morning, but that is a really good idea. It's a really good idea to follow up with people who've made a decision to follow Jesus. It's called discipleship. It's, it's part and parcel. It's like Christianity 101. Too much of the Christian world has got like, make a decision for Jesus. Fill out this card, put up your hand, pray a prayer. Okay, you're in. Good. Now you're safe forever. And then we'll just lose you and just you figure it out on your own kind of thing. And I hope you give them a Bible or a book or something and good luck with it. And here you see Paul establishing the pattern. 
people come to faith, let's go visit. Let's go and reestablish and strengthen and see how they're doing. We just parked that over there. Paul decides, hey, let's go and let's do a, let's retrace our steps. Let's go and visit all these people. And Barnabas says, let's, let's take John Mark along with us. And Paul's like, no, that, we're not taking that deserter. We're not taking that deserter with us. How does Luke describe him? He says, um, that man, we should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia. If you remember on the first trip, they had gone to Cyprus and they had sailed across to the mainland. As they were about to go over this massive mountain range up to Antioch, John Mark calls it quits. He's just like, he's tapping out. We don't have exact reasons why. He's just like, I'm done. I'm going back home. And he, or, and he leaves them and he goes to Jerusalem. And somehow he ends up back in Antioch um, a couple of years later now. And Barnabas is like, I've got a great idea. Let's take John Mark with us. And Paul's like, the dude's not coming with us. He's a deserter. We don't need that kind of guy on our team. And then Barnabas is like, we need this dude on the team. And they can't agree. They email backwards and forwards. <laughs> you know, they get, they get a mediator, whatever else. They just, they can't. They, they, they not, neither of them are backing down to the degree it says that they have such a sharp disagreement they part ways these two guys who have been through it all already on one missionary trip they work well together the Lord has blessed them they are men of godly character we're not talking about like some you know Fong Kong quasi believers here we're talking about like rocks of the early church and they bash heads and they just can't find each other and they part ways. Paul is focused on the mission. Barnabas is focused on the man. That might be an oversimplification. But Paul's main concern is we can't take this oak along with us. What if he deserts us? And Barnabas is like, yeah, he deserted us last time. But man, let's give the guy another go. Let's give him another shot. And before we get to... Uh, this is a two-part sermon. One on restoration, one on conflict. So I want us to talk about restoration here. Because it's the first thing um, you see here. Barnabas wants to take John Mark along. Why? Some people have argued it's because it's his cousin. And he's like, you know, blood is thicker than water, whatever else, you know. Uh, your auntie's going to give me a hard time if I don't take you with me kind of thing. Uh, we don't need that family drama. So let's just keep John Mark in the team and take him with. I don't think that that's true. Because if you look at the pattern of Barnabas's life, this is the kind of guy that he is. His name was not actually Barnabas. I'm sure you remember this. I'm sure you remember this. You've taken copious notes. His name was actually Joseph. His nickname is Barnabas. His name is Joseph. They called him Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was such an encouraging dude that they called him Barnabas. I, I don't know if any of you, I think I mentioned this at one point in previous um, sermon about nicknames that stick from school. You know, and then like you're still as an adult, like Turbo. Some of you know Turbo. Turbo somehow got the name Turbo, and we all call him Turbo now. His name is actually Sean, by the way, if you needed to know that. But everyone calls him Turbo. So some nicknames stick. I don't know if he was super fast. He hasn't outgrown that name. He's slowed down a little bit, I'm sure, but uh, not so Turbo anymore. Uh, but some nicknames stick. Some of the things that you've done, some of your oh, characteristics or appearances, your red hair or whatever else. And Barnabas's name sticks because he is such an encouraging guy. They don't call him Joseph anymore. All the way through the scriptures, he's just Barnabas, Barnabas, Barnabas. He is the son 
of encouragement. It's just who he was. And when they're faced with the option of do we take this guy or not, he is so committed. He is so committed to wanting to restore John Mark back into ministry that he's willing to part ways with his other ministry buddy, Paul. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. He is so committed to giving John Mark another go that he's willing to part ways with Paul. What would have happened to John Mark if Barnabas hadn't taken him? What do you think would have happened to him? Paul and Barnabas set sail off to there and they leave John Mark. And John Mark would just have, we don't know. We don't know, but as I just lived in this account for a couple of weeks, I just thought, here's this guy, he's bombed out on his first missionary trip. Flames, basically. He's a, they call him a deserter, basically. Back, he, he taps out, he just can't do it. And now he, there, there's that label over him. That's the word kind of spoken over him, that man who deserted us. We just have to live with that. Like, hey, Mark, you're, the, you're, you're a great guy, but you're not, you're, you're not like the guy that we're going to pick for anything too difficult because you're a deserter, you know? Where we need like proper people to get proper stuff done, we're going to go through the whole list and then you're going to be at the bottom. Like everyone who wants to go on the mission trip, mission trip step forward, not so quickly, John Mark. And if they just left him, you would hear nothing more about John Mark. I'm convinced you would have heard nothing more about him in the scriptures. He would have played no active role in the ongoing mission of God. He needed a Barnabas to give him a second go and to believe in him, to have enough faith in John Mark to invite him to go along with them. I think it goes without saying that everyone needs a Barnabas in their life. <laughs> and sometimes we need to be a Barnabas to others so that those words just don't hang over your life the whole way. Uh, you, you wiped out. You dropped the ball. You were a failure in this. You told God you would never do that again. You did it. You fell on your face. You're a complete disappointment. You're in the B team of Christianity. You need a Barnabas to rewrite the title that hangs over your life when you have wiped out. I've experienced this. I'm not going to regale you with my personal stories. I've experienced this multiple times in my life, very profoundly when I was just out of school. And it totally shaped the trajectory of my life because other men saw things in me that I couldn't see and didn't believe anymore in myself and gave me another go. And it completely put me back together again after some proper wipeouts. Barnabas is who I'm eternally thankful for. Solid men in the faith who can see with eyes that I couldn't see with. What effect does this have on Mark? Well, many years later, when Paul's writing to Timothy, this is what he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. He says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. Right at near the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy is one of the last books he wrote. Right near the end of his life, what did he say? Please bring John Mark. That guy is useful to me in ministry. Something happened between what we've just read in Acts 15 and 2 Timothy, where Paul and John Mark are reconciled. And Paul sees something in John Mark, the, the effect that Barnabas, the Barnabas effect that has on him of giving him another go. And, uh, you know, 
muscling him up, getting him back on his feet, getting putting him back on the horse, as it were. Something happens, and Paul and John Mark find each other to the degree where when Paul is alone and others are not with him, he says, you've got to get John Mark and send him to me. Um, I don't have many other people here, but you've got to get that guy and send him because he's useful to me. The relationship is restored, and I would agree it takes time. This one took time, and sometimes if you're thinking of relationships that have gone sideways in your own life, all I want to park there is that sometimes it takes time for restoration to kick in. But look at what happens to Mark. Barnabas believes in him, and then he gets to be part of the mission again. But sometimes restoration doesn't happen. Sometimes it doesn't happen. This is the last time in the scriptures that you hear about Paul and Barnabas doing anything together. They part ways, and we have no evidence that they saw each other ever again. There's no evidence that they ever reconciled or saw each other. We have no, no evidence, and even in church history and early church fathers, there's no evidence that they did any further ministry together. It was such a sharp disagreement. They were like, I'm going that way. You're going that way. Our team is not a team anymore. So, let's dive into that a little bit. I want to share a couple of points on, on, on that, on relational harmony. The first thing is that I think the Bible teaches that we should do everything we can to avoid this. The Bible teaches you should do everything that you can to avoid a Paul and Barnabas situation. Why do I think that? Well, just listen. I'm only going to quote verses that Paul wrote from Ephesians and Romans. I want to read four of them to you. These are verses that Paul wrote after he fell out with Barnabas. So this is years later and him writing instruction to the churches around how to behave as believers. This is what he says. This is what he's learned as well and learning because Paul's not perfect. What he's learning about relational harmony. Ephesians 4 verse 3, he writes to the Ephesians, and he commands them, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's not give it a bit of effort. It's make every effort. Do whatever you can to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul knew firsthand, and he could see it in the churches, what happens when Christians give up on each other and when they don't make every effort to preserve unity. And I'm not going to camp on this one for too much longer, but having been a, a pastor for a while, being in churches, you just see so many Christians who just tap out too early. It's just easier to just walk away from conflict. It's much easier. No, but most people don't like conflict. Most people are conflict averse. You get some people who are like, yeah, but most people don't like it. And so they just like, it's, it's awkward. It's difficult to have those hard conversations. And so when you're in a church together and you bash heads with somebody, what most people do, what many people do is just leave. They don't make every effort to preserve unity. They just go find another church. Well, they just go no, they just go to no church. And between them and God, it's fine. They'll watch online and they're the offended one and they write in their own eyes. Everyone's always writing in their own eyes when it comes to these things. 
Paul thought he was right and Barnabas thought he was right. I would say that they didn't make every effort, but maybe they did. Maybe they did make every effort and they just couldn't find each other and they decided to part ways. It's not important for us to delve too much into that. It's more for us to hear that in charge to us today. Hey, have you made every effort? Do we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? It's so easy in church world to get offended by people. It's so easy to offend others. It's much harder to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Romans 12 is a, is a chapter where Paul basically just lists like a, almost like a shopping list of Christian ethics and instructions to the church in Rome. And in Romans 12, we'll look at verse 10, 16, and 18. We won't read all the interlinking verses because there's lots of stuff in there. But in Romans 12, verse 10, this is what he says. He says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Love, love each other deeply. Now, you know, sometimes brothers and sisters, you may not have a very tight family. So you're like, okay, well, that'll be easy. You know, just love like my brothers and sisters. Like, yeah, that's fine. You know, like we've got a pretty dysfunctional family. We'll go for that bond. The, the instruction obviously is to love as a healthy functioning family. Love deeply because we're, we're a family together in God. Try and outdo, I think the NIV calls it, outdo each other in showing honor to one another. You know what that means? That means that you think the best of somebody. You speak the best of them behind their back. Behind their back. It's easy to blow smoke uh, around people or, or for me to talk wonderfully about somebody when it pays back. He's saying nice things about Andy because he can hear me now, you know. And Andy's like, oh, and everyone's listening in and thinking, oh, wow, like, look, look, look what a good guy Doug is because he's saying such nice things about Andy. It's a completely different thing. When you and I are out somewhere riding our bikes or walking and the subject of Andy comes up and I'm just full of praise over Andy's character and it never gets back to him. That's what it means to show honor, to outdo each other and showing honor, thinking the best of each other, gossiping about each other in the best possible way and praising the godly characteristics we see in each other, not in a way that it washes back to your credit, but in a way that we genuinely honor the signs of God's grace in each other's lives. In verse 16 of Romans 12, he says to them, live in harmony with one another. That's just simple. In verse 18, he says, if possible, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is where it gets tricky. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul is realistic here. He knows that sometimes it's not possible. But as far as it depends on you, have you made every effort? Have you done everything that you can to live at peace with everyone? Because sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes your best efforts, sometimes your best efforts at living at peace with other people will be rejected. They'll push back. People will cut relationship. They'll cancel you. They'll badmouth you, whatever it is. And the relationship will tank. The call of the scriptures is that have you done everything? Have you made every effort as far as it depends on you? If we looked at everything you had done, as far as it depends on you, have you made every effort to live at peace with everyone? It's a sobering word for us and a reflection. I'm going to ask you to reflect on this a bit later. That are, are we, have we done everything that we can? 
one of the things that keeps your church healthy, our church healthy, is short accounts with each other. Short accounts. Because I already, I already said we're going to offend each other. Okay, we're all going to sin against each other. We're going to disappoint each other. The same thing in a marriage. If you don't keep short accounts in a marriage, things accumulate. And then they explode. The same thing in a church. Short accounts. Things accumulate and then they explode. If you have beef with somebody in the church family, you need to deal with it quickly. Short accounts. Awkward conversations so that things don't escalate and explode and cause such sharp disagreements that you never see people again. I'm not, I'm not going to go deep down this. I just want to say one other thing. I didn't even write it in the notes here. Um, my, my suggestion to you would be this. If, if this is, as I'm saying it, it's rumbling around in your head and you're thinking about somebody or a situation. My, my simple advice to everyone is talk to the person. Don't talk about the person. Talk to, not about. It's the simplest way to resolve any kind of conflict and keep short accounts. Churches go sideways when we talk about each other instead of talking to each other when we have issues. Are you with me? Somebody, somebody was still awake and with me. Uh, point number two on this. God is able to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. God is able to draw a straight line with crooked sticks like you and I. Have a look here at how God's purposes still work out even in the midst of human disagreement. Some of the upsides of this is that they go from having one team of missionaries to two teams of missionaries. It was Paul and Barnabas just cruising around. Now it's Paul and Silas and Barnabas and John Mark, two different directions. New churches being planted. Paul ends up in Greece. He goes to a whole bunch of new different places because he goes in, in the other direction. Uh, Barnabas heads off back to Cyprus and hangs around there. We don't have much detail there. We get more detail around where Paul goes. But new places are, are, are visited. New churches are planted. You would think this is a complete wipeout, this sharp disagreement. God's purposes are hamstrung. Oh, no. God is able to still draw straight lines with these crooked sticks of men. Some great things happen. One of the first things that happen in, in Paul's new direction is that he bumps, he meets Timothy. And you're going to see in season two of Acts the role that Timothy plays and in the rest of the New Testament the role that that relationship has, that Paul has with Timothy. It, it, it's a foundational thing in the early church. You wouldn't have found Timothy if he'd gone in the other direction. Praise God. John Mark is restored. If they didn't have a sharp disagreement, John Mark would still be sitting in Antioch twiddling his thumbs. Not now, but you know what I mean. He wouldn't have been able to be restored. And he's restored into ministry and there's lots of fruit that comes from it. God's purposes, I want to remind you of, even, even when we do the dumbest things and even when our preferences get in the way and we can't find each other and churches bash heads, God is still doing his work. Because he's the sovereign one. His plan is better than ours. And he's somehow able to draw these straight lines with the crooked sticks. Last thing on this. We need to keep close watch over our own hearts. We need to keep close watch over our own hearts. How, how do you know? Three diagnostic things. How do you know when something has moved? from being a genuine disagreement 
in church or amongst believers that's okay and that's going to happen to being something bigger that leads you down the road of bitterness? How do you know that you've crossed over? First thing is that it becomes all that you think about. You start to obsess. When you can't go to sleep at night, that person, that's what you're thinking about. You're formulating the words, the argument. It's eating you up. The other person is completely oblivious, potentially, but you sit with it. And in your idle thoughts, in your quiet time, when your mind is not busy, you go there. You go there. You're replaying things. You're living in that world. That's when you know it's moved. It's now moved from a, a genuine disagreement, a different of opinions or something, into a dangerous place for your own heart. The second thing is that you start to plan revenge. Not like, don't, 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 like, I mean, sometimes it can go that route, but you're starting to think, how can I get back at this person? How can I tell stories about them that costs them in a bad light, me in a good light? How, how can I work this situation because you're hurt and the natural reaction to being hurt is to want to hurt back. It's only the gospel that counters that reaction. The third thing is that it becomes about the person and not the problem. You start to fixate on a person, not on the legitimate issues of disagreement or the ideas or the principles or whatever else. It becomes personal. It becomes a personal thing between you and that other person. When you have those things going on in your own heart, you're in a very dangerous place and you need to cast yourself onto the Lord. Say, Lord, would you help me? You need to seek out some wise counsel. You need help. You need to bring other people in because if you you allow that stuff to fester, it's going to rob you and it's going to spread like what Paul says, it's going to spread like yeast in the church. Your bitterness, you can't contain. It will spread and it will infect the rest of us. And we all become less healthy. As we close, my simple encouragement would be what? Go and be more like Barnabas, right? Go and be more like, don't be like Paul. Don't be a Paul, be a Barnabas. Go and find those who've fallen down and pick them up and give them another go. Don't obsess about the mission. Focus on the people. And like I said, I read a million books around this and there is disagreement. There are people on either side because sometimes you do need to worry about the mission. You can't necessarily take somebody along who has a track record of bailing. may not be helpful. So Paul is not wrong here. Barnabas is not wrong. This is a differing of opinion. This is not a sin issue really. But I don't want you to be left thinking, go and be more Barnabas. Because the gospel is woven into this account in the most wonderful way. You see, when you find yourself in this story, you are not Barnabas. You are John Mark. You and I are John Mark. We are the deserters. We're the ones who fell on our face. We're the ones who ran away from God. And God came to give us a second chance. And I don't want you to leave this morning with a list of things to do and be. I want you to leave this morning with your heart rejoicing again that Jesus, the ultimate Barnabas, gave you not a second chance, not a second chance, but a new life in him. And he doesn't hold your desertion 
<laughs> against you. That's not the banner written over your life. Your sin is not the identifier of your life. Jesus speaks truer and better words over your life. And the words he speaks are that you are his beloved son or daughter. That you are a co-worker together with God. Not because you're special, but because he is merciful and he is gracious. And he is a restorer. Barnabas is just a small picture of what's in the heart of God. He's able to pick you up and put the pieces back together, bring you to himself and give you another go. Some of you have made outlandish efforts to sabotage your own spiritual health and effectiveness in Jesus. And you're stuck there. You're stuck there. And I, 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 I want to mention this because I felt it strongly provoked as I was preparing for that. I don't want you to leave this morning without having other people pray for you and declare different truth over your life to the truth that you've been declaring over your life or the truth that other people, that the non-truth that other people have labeled over you, that you're a deserter, that you're not going to make, that you're not to scratch, that your past sins and failures define who you are. That's not the message of the gospel. It's not. You are defined by who God says you are. We sang that earlier. and We don't live it out day to day. We allow our failures to loom large in our minds and our lives. And sometimes it's helpful just to have other people to stand with you and to pray with you and say, hey, enough is enough. Get back. It's not an excuse like, oh, I failed once. Now I don't have to do anything for God again. Oh, this is my life. I wrecked that relationship. I'm not good at this. I'm... You can't live like that. There's more. There's more for you. You are a beloved child of God and a co-worker with him. If you live in the past, you rob yourself of the future and what God wants to do in and through you. And I would plead with you. I'd plead with you to come and ask the prayer team to pray together with you. For some of you, this is not a thing. For some of you, it's a thing. And my last question for us this morning is, have you made every effort? Have you made every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? You alone know the answer to that question. If there's niggly things between you and another believer in this church or even in another church, and you know you haven't made every effort, the call of the Scriptures is that make every effort. Not just so that we can have a window dressing and a picture of harmony, so that we can live free from the bitterness of unforgiveness and we can model gospel grace in the world. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful and a shaping and healthy thing for us as a church. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that um, you don't treat us as our sins deserve. That even though we were, we were failures, deserters, rebels, we had no, we had no love for you. You sought us out. You drew us to yourself. You made us new creations. 
You forgave our sins. You filled us with the Spirit. You've called us co-workers. Father, you have adopted us as sons and daughters. You've brought us into your family. You've united us to Jesus Christ. You've brought us into your mission. You've given us plans and purposes. You've given us hope. All of that is because you are gracious and you are merciful. And we love that about you and we worship you this morning. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to pay the ultimate cost so that we could be reconciled to God. Thank you, for Jesus, for being the ultimate son of encouragement. We worship you this morning and we pray that that same spirit would be in us, that you would provoke us this morning to be Barnabas's in our own way, that we'd have eyes to see those who need restoration, that we'd move towards people who failed rather than walk away and ignore them. It'd give us a heart posture to go and reconcile and to restore people. And pray, pray too that for our own hearts this morning, where, where there's lingering things, you, you see, you search us, you know our hearts, and where there are lingering things where we have not made every effort to live in peace, and pray that you would convict us of those things, that you would give us the grace and the strength and the power of the Spirit to take the initiative in making every effort to live in peace with people, that we would be free, that we would be reconciled, that you would be glorified, and that particularly in our church here, we would be a family united on mission, loving one another, keeping short accounts, and that you would fill us as a family with joy in the Spirit. There'd be no, none of this niggling bitterness, um, sideways looks with one another. We'd be a family that love each other and run to you and run to the world on mission and live as a display of the transforming power of the gospel for our good and for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.